I don't like the title race. It, um, it's going to knock at least 10 years off my life, and I'm very sick of the small talk being, hello, how was your weekend? What are your thoughts on the title race? I'm sick of answering that question. I've answered it about 100 times already this week, and I can't wait for the title race to be over. <laughs> Welcome to the 5W Football Podcast, where we discuss the who, the what, the where, the when, and the why of the beautiful game. That was Joe Davies on the guitar for the jingle, and this is Andrew Misra on the mic. We're back in the podcast studio on what is a bright day, if a little bit cold. I am joined today by four lovely guests, and I've got a debut from Catherine Batty, no relation of David. Um, how are we doing, Catherine? Well, I'm going to correct you there firstly, Andrew, because I am in fact a relation of a David Batty, but not the famous footballer, unfortunately. I do apologise. That's <laughs> Catherine Batty, a relation of a David Batty. Um, we usually start with our, our debutants with a claim to fame, and we're going to do exactly the same with Catherine. So, Catherine, I must ask you, what is your footballing claim to fame? Well, um, assuming we're, we're still going with the, um, the Boots um, story, so um, I'm, I'm quite good, apparently, at winning Instagram competitions to win footballers' <laughs> boots, specifically footballers from Hull City. So... Um, Marcus Henriksen, who is the captain of Hull City this year, um, Norwegian international, put a competition on his Instagram page and it was like, um, uh, comment on this and tag two friends, like the picture sort of thing, and I'll pick a winner. And I got this weird message um, when I was revising actually for the law exams from this Norwegian guy on Facebook saying, hi, I've sent you a um, message on Instagram, you've won a competition, and I was like, this is dodgy. <laughs> uh, I was like, I have to check this out. So I found him on Instagram and then I realised Marcus Henriksen followed him so I was like okay it's legit so he said yeah you've won his um, you've won his boots and um, he said um, actually you don't live too far away from me because he said that we can come and drop them around he's like where do you live <laughs> and I was like oh, this is where I live and he's like oh, that's quite close to us we can come and drop them around now and obviously I was at uni so I wasn't at home and my dad was out as well and my mum who's like got no idea who Marcus Henriksen is at all was the only person in the house so he came round um, with his agent, who I think was the guy that messaged me, dropped them round, and then I got a message later from the same agent saying, sorry you weren't in, but we had a nice chat with your mum. <laughs> so <laughs> that was great. She was like, my mum didn't know which one was which. So, And um, then last year I also won um, Ola Aina's football boots. He was on loan from Chelsea at the time. So I'm just waiting for the third one now. Who do you want it to be? Who, who's, who do you want the next boots to be from? It's a good question, actually. I've had a defender and a midfielder, so maybe a maybe a striker or a goalkeeper. Maybe, maybe Fraser Campbell. Fraser Campbell's boots would be quite. But nice. He's out of out of action for eight months. Have you been listening <laughs> to past podcasts? Superb, a fantastic introduction. I've also got Barney Stevenson, who's got a Lacoste polo, um, uh, undershirt, and some trousers, which I don't have the knowledge. A car dry. Car dry. How are we doing, Barney? Uh, yeah, I'm quite good today, actually. Quite fresh and sort of well prepared so yeah looking forward to the podcast right. Andrew. and we have a returning Kieran Ahuja who's already been um, insulted yeah, yeah. Uh, he's been a bit wound up by the kind lady who let us into the podcast studio for wearing something that she misinterpreted as an apron would you like to defend <laughs> well they are dungarees in fact and I know that they're a bit of a an unusual choice maybe for a, for a podcast but she thought she'd been quite nice and a little bit endearing I think didn't personally find it to be that. But. <laughs> Hopefully you'll be able to cook up some interesting topics. <laughs> anyway, Lewis, uh, you're back on my right-hand side as usual. Uh, I feel like you're, you're kind of an ever-present. You're always kind of in the same position, same expression. How are you doing? Yeah, I've, um, I'm very well, thank you. I'd probably describe myself as the Barry Glendon into Max Rushton. Big claim. Yeah. Or maybe, I don't know. With a slightly less Irish accent. Daniel's story to James Richardson if there's other podcasts out there. Yeah. Uh, Lewis Steele has passed his 100 words per minute shorthand qualification, which is a very impressive feat. 
Um, so well done, Lewis. Thank from, you. From all yeah. of us here at Five W Football, and if anyone out there would like, uh, you know, an up-and-coming young journalist who is capable of court reporting, then please do get in touch with Mr. Steele via the relevant <laughs> channels. Um, he was also supposed to be on the radio yesterday, but that kind of fell through, didn't it? Well, no, I was on the radio. Oh, you were? Yeah, I was on the radio, um, but uh, the line cut out, didn't it? But Barney was listening. I was yeah. talking about Declan Rice and a potential move to City. Right. I was saying that he could be Fernandinho's uh, replacement, which has been the most debated topic on City Twitter for the last 12, maybe 18 months. Yeah. Um, he played very well against Liverpool, as I'm sure you will know, on Monday. It's like eight tackles, yeah, one something, foul, wasn't it? Something, something ridiculous like that. Yeah. like that. He's very good on the ball as well, so maybe 50 million plus 10 million City tax, as I call it. 60 yeah. million for him. That's all right. Yeah, and uh, Barney was listening to that while he was in the library for an eight-hour shift. Mm. Would you like to tell us a few little details about how that eight-hour shift came about? Uh, how it came about? Well, it basically came about because football five-a-side is at nine o'clock. University, because we've not fully started back, finished at one o'clock. And I didn't really feel like my day would be very well structured if I went home before five aside so I just decided to slog it out in the library and yeah it was it was a bit of a weird afternoon really because we didn't particularly have that much work we needed to get done so I sort of um, basically just spent the time trying to sort of get things in order just and listen go to, through my accounts and listen to up and coming journalists on the radio yeah absolutely yeah it was a real treat Fantastic. So on today's show, I'm going to start off with a brief review of the weekend footy. We're discussing cats on the pitch, why we don't love Kun Aguero, the best squads who have never won anything, and what N'Golo Kante does with all his money. And in addition to that, we'll of course be interspersed with an appropriate amount of trivia and questions from our legion of fans. So let's get things kicked off with a brief review of the weekend footy. So I feel like we have to kind of start with the title race. Um, Unfortunately, it feels like it's becoming a bit repetitive. But Rafa, of course, beat City um, earlier in midweek. And then Pellegrini got himself a draw against Liverpool. So three points clear at the top. But City playing Everton tonight. We'll see them, if they win, we'll see them return to the top of the table. Barney, I'm going to come to you first. What do you make of the Premier League title race in general? Does it, does it hold your interest? Is it becoming a little bit repetitive or is it entertaining that it's constantly kind of changing yeah i'm quite into it actually this year because um i'm not always into the title race but i do think there are two genuinely excellent teams in the title race well actually maybe three i think spurs i think spurs are still in it actually i think uh i don't think they'll win it. I, th- I think city are gonna win it uh and i think the reason liverpool won't is because it's not because of a lack of quality, but um, because of a lack of sort of well, a lack of players who've been there and done it before. Um, I think Milner's the only player in their squad to have won a Premier League title, and um, I had a look through their squad as well yesterday, and I don't think any of their other players have won a title at any of Europe's big four leagues, and if you compare that to previous title-winning squads, I think it's I don't think there are any other squads that would look similar to that in the last few years so I think that it's not really um, it's not quality that Liverpool are lacking I don't think there are any particular positions on the field where they're sort of coming up short I think it's purely kind of that mentality of having players who can just well who've done it before and can do it again and I was looking as well like it's sort of been the same problem at Liverpool for a while because even if you sort of go back to the Gerrard era, like, you know, Gerrard had obviously never won a title, Carragher hadn't, and then even their sort of big names who they got in from Spain, like Alonso, who'd been at uh, Real Sociedad, so he'd not won anything, Reiner from Villarreal, so not won anything, Torres from Atletico, not won anything, so I think, I think that's been the problem at Liverpool for a while. Wonderful. And also, Catherine, we've got this idea now of kind of figures from the past like helping their old team. So obviously with the with the Benitez and City thing and the Pellegrini and Liverpool helping out City there, we've kind of got this idea of what, what's going to come next. You know, is Stuart Pearce going to come back from the dead uh, to beat Liverpool? Or, you know, is Ryan Babel going to help Liverpool out by sinking City for Fulham? Where do you see that going? I don't know, because um, it's funny, actually... Um 
Well, you're talking about the title race, and um, we know we were having a joke a few days ago about um, Hull having a reasonable record against Liverpool at the KCOM, so obviously we're not there to beat Liverpool this year, so it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's quite sad in that respect, but... Um, yeah, it was it was a strange one. I had a feeling for some reason that Newcastle were going to get a result against Man City, but then that also Man City would then go on and beat Arsenal. It was, it's a really weird kind of kind of thing, and that's why I kind of like the the title race in this country because you can get those strange results like early in the season when Palace beat City from nowhere, and I think that's why the title race in this country is probably. All that I know I know Lewis is fed up of hearing about it, but that's why I quite like it. Yeah, well, I, that was why I decided to go to our kind of you know more championship fans just for their take on it. Thought it'd be a bit more interesting. Also, in at the weekend we had um, a cat on the pitch at Goodison Park, which kind of sparked a, a lot of interest, particularly on social media. I think social media kind of became popular because of cats on the internet. I feel like that's what spawned the whole phenomenon of it. Um, what did you make of that, Kieran? Is that that something that interests you more than the actual football? Um, no, can't say it did. To be honest. Uh, it did remind me of a video I saw on Twitter where, I don't know if anyone else has seen it, it's a, like a shot goes towards the line, then a dog runs across the line and saves it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've seen that video on Twitter, but it reminded me of that, and that was a lot more entertaining than the cat on the pitch, actually. Was it a real dog? Because I've seen one of those where, you know, the, the advertising boards that move. I've seen, <laughs> I've like, seen dogs that. on them, and it looks like they're running up and down the wing. No, it was like a real dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. actually saved yeah. the ball yeah. from going in the net. It was quite oh, something. that's good. Yeah, yeah that's good. Any other memories of um, animals involved in football, Lewis? Um, I don't know, but I suppose it is an animal. It's more of an insect. But do you remember the, the praying mantis on James Rodriguez's back at 2014 World Cup? Yeah, I actually don't remember the, this. It was no, literally no. the size of a squirrel. It was huge. <laughs> you need to Google it. Um, yeah, I was just thinking about um, other animals. And I thought uh, Cologne in Germany have a goat they bring out a goat and parade it around their stadium before every game. And it made me think about what if every team's spirit animal came out before a game. So Hull City bringing out a tiger. I don't know what that would do for health and safety in this country, but, you know, it could be. And also, ethically, it's quite good. It's maybe happened before. Like, not in recent times at all, but I'm sure I've heard something about that happening in, like, the 40s or something like that. The thing is well, not, probably not the 40s. Yeah, there was that thing in the World <laughs> Cup, wasn't it, that they were going to have bears as mascots in Putin's World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but obviously, ethically, it didn't yeah, come didn't to watch. play. Mm. Not every club has a an animal kind of associated. I mean, Ars- Arsenal are just going to you know blow everyone away. <laughs> and, you know, animal cruelty, all that kind of thing, you know, will come to a head. Um, Interesting idea, though, nonetheless. Yeah, Manchester well. United has struggled a little bit as yeah, well. Bringing a devil out, yeah. yeah. Conjuring a devil. <laughs> what's, yeah. um, what's Blackburn's? Because when, when I went to Blackburn a few weeks ago, we lost 3 0. We, we had like mocking chance of saying you've been mm-hmm. mauled by the Rovers. Is that just their nickname? Oh, is it? Well, Rumours of dogs. Lewis has written a, an article on the on the Five W Football website <laughs> about the Black Bear Rover crest. Uh, so if anyone's like qualified the, to answer, it should be. It's good. the Red Rose of Lancaster, isn't it? On yeah. The large. yeah. Um, you can't get mauled by a rose. A rose. Well, you, well, could get, you can get hurt a bit by thorns. a rose. Okay, yeah, yeah, you could get. Um, Speaking like someone who's been hurt by a rose. <laughs> by the body. Sound like seal. Have you got an ex-girlfriend called Rose or something, Barney? <laughs> Barney's married these days, you know. It's wife, I should say. Uh, Hull City won again. Uh, we've got, well, half of the guests are Hull City fans, so I'm sure they will want me to come to them and ask them about this. Barney, Hull City, happy? Yeah, I think um, in some ways it's quite... I think the players that... Uh, like after losing to Blackburn, the sort of the pressures off that kind of thing of being on the winning run. I think in some ways that's quite good. Um, I think we are genuine contenders for the playoffs now, but the game at the weekend against Derby will tell us a lot more about that. And I'm not massively confident, to be fair. Really, I think I'd be quite pleased with a draw. What do you think? think it's going to be a case of who performs better between Jared Bowen and Harry Wilson. I think they're the two stars. Uh, Campbell Grzyski as well. And if it, I mean, depending on which side 
Bowen usually plays on the right, so I think it'll be him up against Ashley Cole if he plays. Yeah, that would be and, interesting. Um, actually. I think Bowen now, looking at Ashley Cole's age, I think Bowen's got the beating of him. Yeah. So I think that is a game for us. If if we lose that, <coughs> we can pretty much kiss the playoffs goodbye. If we win it, we're back. We're back in it. We're, I we're right back in it, aren't we? If, if we win it, has um, has Ashley Cole lost his pace? He's, he's thirty-eight, <laughs> and he was on. Um, he was on. He was on MNF um, yeah. with with yeah. Carragher. Um, I'd never really heard him speak before, and I don't know. The way he spoke was kind of just different to what I was expecting. It was kind of just not yeah, out, so just a bit bland. His punditry was a bit boring, wasn't it? Yeah, um, I, I not as good as the other. I didn't court, find him Joe massively Joe, engaging, so. but maybe it's a kind of consequence of the, you know, the reputation yeah. he's, you know, gained in the media over the years. So maybe yeah, I don't think he'll do anything at Derby. But that last, no. the last two playoff one. spots are going to be a very interesting watch. Well, yeah. I saw the um, Preston Derby game the other day, and he wasn't even on the bench for Derby. Yeah, kind of thing. I, I saw like Wilson had like two such good chances. I think he smashed the bar in the post from it's outside the box. Yeah, Harry good. Wilson is it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think yeah. Harry Wilson's probably you know got them. I, I think I actually do rate him slightly above Bowen. To be honest, it pains me to say it, but I think Harry Wilson has more potential to. Play he's very top level football yeah. than yeah. than Jared. And he he just scores screamers though, and that yeah. I don't know, maybe that will end up being a bit of a problem in some ways if he can't just score tappings. Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought he maybe <laughs> you know, like a sort of does he do anything apart from score screamers? Yeah, a bit like. But he's doing it enough. Yeah. But you he's know, not got a lot of assists. Wilson, I think Bones no. got more assists. Not that Bones got loads either, because obviously Grzyski from us on the other wing. He's, he's got very good at assists. Yeah. Doesn't score quite as many mm. goals. Mm. So maybe that's something Wilson needs to add to his game. It reminds me a bit of Gareth Bale when he just scored screamers every single week. Yeah. But he never really scores from inside the box. Well, yeah, he did He did for us, though, didn't he? He scored a few yeah. from inside yeah. the box for us, yeah. yeah. He, he, and he does Back that the thing of... the hair days. Yeah. He does that thing of, um, like, Bowen of cutting in. Cutting in yeah. 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 No, he's, um, he's doing very well. In the Premier League, um, Sergio Aguero, of course, scored a hat-trick against Arsenal. And there's been a bit said in the media about him maybe being slightly underappreciated because I think he I think he's gone four seasons where he's got twenty Premier League goals um, in a row, um, and generally you know he, he, if he plays he's, there's a very good chance he scores. You know his numbers are really up there in terms of other strikers in the world. Um, would you say, Kieran, that he is the best striker in the Premier League era? It's a difficult one. I mean, I don't like Sergio Aguero. Just from a personal perspective, <laughs> but I can appreciate his skill as a striker, and he's definitely a good shout for maybe the best striker in the Premier League era. Um, but I feel like in a, in the long run, no one will actually remember him as much as maybe he deserves. I think in say twenty or thirty years' time, I don't think people are going to be looking back at Aguero as one of the, the like the classic players of this era. And I don't. That's probably not good. That's like that. That's probably unjustified, but. Yeah I, I, yeah, I think maybe it is because of the whole language barrier thing that I think we're going to come up to. But yeah. Is there maybe an argument, Lewis, that um, he will be remembered more for because he had that moment where he, he scored that goal against QPR that won the league for City, but that perhaps overshadows his legacy a little bit? Do you think there's a danger of that? Uh, yeah, certainly there is a danger of it, um, Andrew. Um, he did score that goal, obviously. Um, I think that maybe... He didn't quite, or he hasn't quite reached his full potential that he had when we signed him, for quite a lot when we signed him, and that probably sounds ludicrous because he's like the all-time leading scorer at City, but I still wouldn't put him above David Silva and Yaya Torre in our in City's greatest ever players if I was ranking them, and I don't really know why. I think he is sort of underappreciated in many ways, but give him the ball in the box and he will score he, yeah. he's, he's got a good locker of finishes in his locker sorry yeah um, as, it's an interesting idea I suppose who is the best striker in Premier League era um, Barney who would you go for um, well I think I'd say Thierry Henry but I think I think Aguero is probably actually maybe more effe- more of an effective player than Henry I'm not actually sure on the sort of goal scoring ratios what it is but but I think Henry's a uh, more aesthetically pleasing player to watch really I think he 
plays football in a sort of more beautiful way yeah. than Henri used to get a lot of assists as well yeah, yeah. it's kind of like the efficiency versus entertainment yeah. argument isn't it exactly yeah I think I'd possibly you know if I was really trying to win a game I'd probably rather have Aguero playing up front than Henri mm. yeah. but um, yeah I, I don't know on Henri's a and a better player to watch, I think. Alan Shearer as well, I think. I'd yeah, probably yeah but Shearer's Shear kind of similar to Aguero in yeah, the sense he's all goals, isn't he, really? Yeah. Yeah. There's a bit to be said about Drogba, maybe. You like him, I'm a big fan of I'm a big fan of Didier Drogba, yeah. I wouldn't mm. put him up there myself yeah. in the top two or three, maybe. But Who would you go for, Catherine? I think you mentioned Shearer. I'm, I'm inclined to say him just because I really like him. And um, the thing with people like Drogba and... Um, even uh, Aguero at times, I think, have sometimes upset people. With, uh, I know Drogba used to get accused, of, perhaps unfairly, of maybe diving mm. uh, a few times. I know Aguero has yeah. been, um, I think, maybe, uh, I don't know if aggressive is the right word, but I know there's been a couple of occasions where he's maybe got sent off a, um, a stamp on a player. And um, I've never forgiven Thierry Henry for what he did to Ireland before, um, oh, stopping yeah. them qualifying mm. for the World that Cup. So that always... Yeah. Um, sort of uh, ruined that for me but um, Shearer I just think it's difficult because he didn't really he didn't play in the same era as um, the likes of Aguero and the game has moved on quite a lot it's now a lot faster it's mm-hmm. maybe harder to, pl- to score goals now than it was back in Shearer's day but yeah and I think the point about Ireland is very true because so many people even if they're not Irish are very sympathetic with with what happened there so yeah I think that is a very valid point We've got a question from long-term fan of the show, Alex Alton, who asks us, who does the panel think is the third best player in the world right now? So when I read this, I was we assumed that one and two were Messi and Ronaldo, Ronaldo and Messi. People may disagree with that at this moment in time, but let's just say, for argument's sake, that one and two is Ronaldo and Messi, um, the third best player in the world right now. I'm going to come to Lewis Steele first on this one and let you let you off your... My moment. Yeah. Um, I was. I'm expecting him to say Sterling. No, I'm. I'm not going to go with a City player. Although I think the Bruyne is up there. I'm not going to go with him though. Um, I did think quite long and hard on this as I was walking in this morning, and I've concluded at Kylian Mbappe, um, in under current form. Um, I think there's a couple of categories that I've used, and it's, it's how quickly they can turn a game on its head in their advantage and secondly what they've won and Mbappe is um, very young still uh, he's won a World Cup and two uh, French titles will be free definitely soon um, so I'll probably go Mbappe and I think I, if I was him I'd move to Spain Barcelona mm. or Madrid and then he could really nail down that the next era of Messi and Ronaldo sort of players yep Kieran yeah, word for word, agree with what Lewis just said. To be honest, fabulous, Catherine. Jared Bowen. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's difficult again. To sort of don't want to repeat what what Lewis has said, but um, you saw at the World Cup, Mbappe is just you, he's got that potential. I, I do like Eden Hazard. I know he sort of divides opinion, and he's maybe not consistently at the best of his game, but when he is on it, I think he is definitely up there. I think it's just difficult to say Hazard at the moment because of the team he's playing in. Mm-hmm. Is he, if he moves to Real Madrid, he could possibly mm. sort of... Yeah, sort of see what happens with Higuain as well. I mean, those two could kind of get the best out of each other. Well, I was very hopeful, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Barney? Uh, I do agree with Mbappe um, for a lot of the reasons that Lewis has said. I think that having said, I think that Modric did deserve the Ballon d'Or, which I guess is a kind of player of the year award so more based on the year they've had rather than necessarily how good they are um i think yeah i think for a while maybe last year it was sort of like mbappe was clearly going to actually you know he was going to be filling the spot for best player in the world i think he's properly stepped into it since the world cup and i think he's right up there with messi yeah. and ronaldo at the minute i think the interesting thing particularly with mbappe is how he kind of seems to have Overtaken Neymar in the yeah. kind of as the prize, you know, he's almost. Yeah, yeah. I think people now think of Mbappe maybe as the main person more than Neymar, which I think this time last year certainly would not have been the case. And I think the World Cup is obviously a massive contributing factor to that. So yeah, I'd agree. I think nice that we've got a, 
unequivocal answer. It's Neymar's birthday today as well, actually, and he's oh, 27. There's I, a few I didn't realise he was that old. Yeah. There's a few birthdays, aren't there, today? Uh, who else have we got? There's Carlos Tevez. Um, I th- oh, was this yesterday? I think it was yesterday, yeah. you know. Can you see what Neymar asked for his birthday? I saw some statistics as well, actually, um, comparing Ronaldo and Neymar at 27. And um, Neymar's better, basically. Statistics-wise, yeah. But you've got to think that Ronaldo was obviously at United, wasn't he? And he wasn't doing the ridiculous numbers for quite a few years. So yeah, Neymar's like played fewer games and scored more goals. Um Ronaldo had won a Ballon d'Or though, which is probably the one that matters mm. most to Neymar. Um, moving on, topic number two that we have is about this one is suggested by Callum Ashcroft, who is a very good friend of mine who I haven't seen in a very long time. But he suggests the best squads who have never won anything. Um, his shout for this was in relation to Portugal at Euro 2004. So at, at that time, they had quite a few players who just won the Champions League with Porto. They had a Luis Figo, they had an up-and-coming Ronaldo. Players like that, very solid kind of defensive lines with the likes of Carvalho. And I think there was Simao, players like that. So I thought it was quite an interesting topic. So could be could be an interesting one to discuss. Uh, Catherine, I'll come to I'll come to you for, for a shout on this. I'm sure it'll be a whole team of some kind. We are, I, mean, I don't want to talk about the 2014 FA Cup final, so um, I'm, I'm going to go a bit left field actually because I'm I'm going to pick well two kind of women's football teams. Um, so I'm going to go with England under under the Hope Powell era slash kind of Mark Sampson stage, and also the French women's football team over the last few years, it, mainly because. Um, we saw, we saw Japan win a Women's World Cup in 2010. I actually went to, the, um, to watch England's group game against them. England were in the same group as them. Beat them to top the group. England got knocked out against France in the quarterfinals and Japan went on to beat America in the final because um, they came second in the group. And that, that was the year I think England should have should have uh, got further. And I know they lost to France, um, I'll come on to in a minute, but um, I think they've just... Even when Mark Sampson was there and he improved it on, like they've still never made, never even made a final. Maybe they're better suited to be a team that never made a final of anything. But they've, they've had quality in there over the years, like Sir Kelly Smith, and the fact she's never won an international tournament. Um, France as well, over the years, um, especially in in Europe, French league, um, it's been PSG that have been winning the Champions League for the last few years in women's football. And you've got the likes of, um, I'm going to name some people here, uh, Les Sommer and um, Nassib, who I think has retired now, but she was a fantastic player. And France, again, was another team that just underachieved in international tournaments. And unfortunately, it was always seemed to be dominated by America. Um, America, obviously, apart from that one year, Japan won it in, in the World Cup. And then in the Euros, till the last Euros, Germany had won about six years in a row, which is just ridiculous. Um, so that was my kind of left field, mm. left field Yeah, brilliant. Very informative for me, definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, excellent. Um, Lewis, oh, um, I jotted down a few uh, bullet points on the Google Doc that you made. Um, the first one is multiple Holland teams. I know I didn't, I wasn't allowed <coughs> to watch it, obviously. But the 1974, I think it was Holland mm-hmm. team with with Cruyff and the likes. I've read a lot about that team and. They apparently were just like the, the best team that's never won anything. Mm. Um, and they lost to Germany in the final. There was a lot of stuff of Cruyff and Beckenbauer West at the time. Germany, wasn't it? West Germany, sorry. Yeah. Uh, but then another one that saw, <laughs> an, well, two, two also ones from left field. Uh, England's golden generation of how many years ago was it now? About it's kind of two thousand to ten. Yeah, and you, you think, think four, of that team. Four to six was kind of like the absolute pinnacle of it. And I think if we had that team now with a good manager that um, would sacrifice maybe trying to not get his best players in the team for a good formation, we would have won the World Cup last year. So uh, this, yeah, last year certainly. Because um, you think of like the likes. I'm thinking more like the Gerard Lampard, Scholes, Michael Owen, uh, Joe Cole, even who was very good. That sort of area. Yeah. That that team. If you look at past World Cup teams, that should have won a World Cup or at least a Euros. Um, and then a very left field one is Spurs. They've not won anything um, under Pochettino. And I always say that I feel a bit sorry for Spurs. Me and Andrew are saying 
yesterday if, if we knew that our teams weren't going to win the league we want Spurs to win it because they've got a very good team and I don't know where they stumble every season like Harry Kane possibly the best striker in the league apart from Aguero maybe Ali Eriksson very good defence good goalkeeper Son as well at the moment yeah Son is one of the best players in the league so I, I feel sorry for Spurs in a way they're probably not going to win anything this season as well I can't see them winning the Champions League or Premier League um, so yeah I think they are up there yeah I think with the, coming back to that England 2004-2006 there's so many players as well who weren't even involved um, that would probably you know walk into the, the recent generations we've had like people like Ledley King Jamie Carragher Owen Hargreaves even I know he, he did play but they were almost kind of it feels as if we maybe had too many like Jermaine Genus was around then he a central midfielder like that now would probably get into the England team um, I feel like last year as well the the one just gone I'm really hoping it isn't but you know four eight years down the line you can't guarantee what's going to happen in those ones we might look back at that one and think we really should have we really should have won that one which hopefully we won't but that's England isn't it we always have that kind of nagging Sense, Barney. Have you you got any yeah, wistful? I've got quite a few. Can I on this, can I say mine before Barney says his? Because in case he's got mine. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I um I was thinking of the nineteen ninety five ninety six Newcastle team. Yeah, I did the, have that down. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I got it in there. <laughs> the entertainers. They went like I think they went twelve. Yeah, twelve points clear in mid January nineteen ninety six. Is this the one where they had like the record for being? They're one of the few teams that's been like top at Christmas by a, yeah. a good margin. Yeah, they were like twelve. Yeah, they're twelve points up, and then they had an absolute collapse, and United ended up winning it. It was a, the season of the I would love it speech. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I think they beat United five 0 that season at some point. Right. They actually smashed oh, us, but yeah. then we just just managed to get it. I was in Newcastle last week, and I am. Um, it was raining very hard, so I got an Uber because um, I was there all day. So we got an Uber to the hotel. Um, and I, was, I got speaking to a taxi driver, which doesn't normally happen. Um, you don't normally speak to them other than good day, mate, that sort of thing. And he was like, <laughs> he was like, he, he day, probably mate. heard my, <laughs> day, he probably heard my northwesterly accent. I suspected I was a Man City fan. He asked me what I thought about Newcastle, and I was saying, well, it's pretty bad what's going on at the moment with Mike Ashley and the like. And uh, he, we got talking about uh, the time when Newcastle got to the Champions League in mm. two thousand and two, three, I think it was. Um, they, I, mean, I, I basically concluded Newcastle are a very big club and they should be doing a lot better than they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Barney will kind of yeah. lost your on the uh, Newcastle point. I think there's quite a few comparisons, in a sense, to be made with Spurs, the Spurs team of now and the Newcastle team of then. They've. Uh, Obviously, like the, there's the obvious one is Kane and Shearer, um, both England captains and sort of the best England English strikers of their generations. And Shearer never won anything with Newcastle, and I think Kane is probably in danger of being in the same situation with Spurs. And equally, you know, they're both obviously massive clubs, but you can, you know, Newcastle really had a sort of golden era. In from sort of the mid nineties to early noughties, and then you you know you can see what's happened to them since. And I mean, Spurs are moving into you know their massive new stadium and stuff like that. So you'd kind of think they're putting the infrastructure in place to prevent any sort of similar slides. But you know, you never know if they did lose Pochettino and you know if Kane and Ali and Eriksson and Son all left then uh, things could look pretty grim, probably, for them. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think that's Newcastle, certainly, are a good example of how, you know, if you miss your chance, then uh, you might not win anything for, for a while. <laughs> yeah, and then, uh, also, Yara 2004, I think there are quite a few teams um, with sort of golden generations that didn't win anything. There's England. Uh, obviously, France had sort of just come off the back of winning everything but uh, they had a pretty fantastic team then as well with sort of Henri, Pires, Zidane all at their peak um, Czech Republic as well 04 finished in the semi-finals uh, but that was you know the team of Nedved, Czech, Rizicki, Jan Koller, Alan Barosh 
top scorer, yeah. Um, Messi's Argentina probably aren't going to win anything. They're obviously Messi mainly being yeah, the reason yeah. why they're an amazing team, but you know they've got Aguero and Higuain as well. So if they don't win anything, that's pretty poor, really. Uh, the other one we usually mention Bielsa on the pod. Well, Lewis does. Yeah, Lewis does. Uh, <laughs> Saw him last night, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> we did. His uh, athletic Bilbao team of I think twenty twelve. Um, I don't think they won anything. They might have won. Did they win a Copa del Rey, maybe? I'm not sure. I don't don't think they did. I think they lost in a final. But they were a pretty excellent team. Um, They didn't win anything. Also, I think Lewis has mentioned before, Bayer Leverkusen, 2002. They on the bench in the final. And also, Bielsa had a very good Marseille team, and I think pushed PSG all the way in the first real year of PSG's sort of monopoly over that league. I think Bielsa nearly got there. So. Hopefully that's going to be a theme and his Leeds team are going to pot over. It's coming. The decline of Leeds is definitely on the horizon. I, 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 I want Leeds to go. Know, so For one reason and one reason only, which we won't go into. No. Um, quick recap on articles. The 5W Football website continues to grow. Um, Lewis has got some plans for a piece on... The El Clasico, we've got four coming up in 18 days. This happened, a similar kind of condensed number of, of Clasicos has yeah, happened. Yeah, it did in 2011 to. when it was the height of the Pep Guardiola and Jose Mourinho sort of rivalry. Also, Messi-Ronaldo rivalry was just starting to blossom as a as a thing in that day, in those days. And obviously there was, two, there was the Champions League semi, so two. There was the league game, which basically decided the title was going to Barca, and also a Copa del Rey final, which Madrid won. Uh, yeah, Madrid won. Um, so yeah, that was quite a. It's quite an interesting thing, really. Four massive, basically the whole season decided in little over two weeks. Um, so it's quite an intense sports psychological point of view, anyway, uh, in the schedule. Um, Obviously, Barca got the better of it, but there was a lot of talking from Mourinho in the press conferences. Um, Guardiola like threatened to quit halfway through it because he couldn't deal with like the mental stress it was causing him. It was quite an interesting time, yeah. We've also got a very interesting piece on the site about footballers from obscure regions. And this comes from a contributor, Brian Bertie. And there's a particularly interesting account of Rio Mavuba, who's listed as being born in the sea. So <laughs> do check that out on the website. It's a really fantastic read. And then we're also continuing our new Crest of the Week series, which we discussed on last week's podcast. So if you'd like to hear a little bit more about that, do check that out. We've got another question, which comes from our regular question contributor, Utility Ram, or Ute to his friends. He says, looking at the four teams who played the maximum number of World Cup games, so those that got to the final and in the third place playoff, how many of the players from those teams have looked legged so far this season and maybe underperformed or got more muscle injuries than would be expected as a result of kind of playing continuous football for what is almost two years, given that you've got the season straight into the World Cup, straight into the, the next season? What do we think about this, Barney? Have you got any thoughts? Um, hmm. I'm, I'm not very good at keeping up with uh, sort of the injury tables, to be honest. Um, Lewis has just mouthed to me Kevin De Bruyne, which uh, is a very good point, but it's Lewis's point, so I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let him <laughs> yeah, talk well, about well, that. Well, Ute has actually suggested uh, Hazard, um, which is interesting. Hazard started the season fantastically well and maybe dropped off a little bit afterwards but my my take on this is a more or general point I will come to you Lewis but my point generally is that like I look at players like Milner the the kind of most professional players out there maybe like Gareth Barry and I think footballers these days never have to play more than once every three days and it's rarely that frequently I think without having a particular insight into the sports science and all that kind of thing Footballers should be able to do this, to ask them to play a full season and then have a World Cup. They still do get two, three weeks off. I think they should be able to do it. I don't think that's necessarily more of a reason they should get muscle injuries than 
a specific manager's training method. So I think these muscle injuries are often more to do with the regimes that the managers are putting the players through rather than the World Cup thing. I don't think it's necessarily as simple as saying, you know, they've played in the World Cup. Because even within those four countries, all those individual players will have massively varying schedules. You know, what other competitions have they been playing in? Have they been playing in the Europa League? Um, you know, Thursday night going over to places like Russia, does, does that make an impact? So I think it's maybe a little bit more complicated than just the number of games played. Um, but, yeah, Lewis will... Um, well, I don't, I, I don't really have that much to add on it. I think maybe, um, yeah, De Bruyne has obviously been injured, but I don't think that's down to the fact that he played in the World Cup. I think it's just unlucky that he got, he landed on his knee wrong a couple of times. Um, and then other players who have played in the in the last four games, they haven't really looked that bad. I mean, I'm trying to think of the the uh, France team. I mean, yeah. Kanté has not been as good, but that's not. His fault. That's because Sarri's played in that position. Yeah. Um, who else is there? There's. Well, I think Harry Kane would probably be one that people would yeah. suggest. But Harry Kane has got an injury similar to the one he's got now. I might be wrong on that, but he's he's been injured in previous seasons, and there yeah. hasn't been a World Cup before that, which kind of links to the idea I was trying to get across before about training methods, which is something that I think has been levelled at Pochettino before. That is training methods may perhaps and also the fact that he's, he's got that squad that we talked about before and he isn't really able to rotate his team well I say isn't able to doesn't rotate his team might be perhaps a fair way of, of saying it but um, Catherine you got any thoughts on this? I, I agree with you in the sense of I think it's more down to managers training methods because I know speaking as a whole fan uh, Nigel Adkins carries out an intense training session on a Friday which has been criticised a few times because it's resulted in players getting injured and suddenly being fit on the Friday and then we'll turn up on a Saturday and it's like, oh, Reese Burke's injured. And it's because if you, you wonder whether it's because they do an intense session on a, on a Friday and that impacts, um, obviously, their um, recovery and, and ability to play on a, on a Saturday. And uh, Again, obviously, Kante must have played so much football in the last few years I don't think he's he ever misses a game for Chelsea um, so I don't really think it's the amount of games that they play I think I don't know sometimes for certain players if there's a hangover of a World Cup I look at people like Kieran Trippier who was brilliant in the World Cup he's not quite been as good maybe for Spurs this year I don't know yeah so. yeah you almost wonder sometimes if there's a mental aspect to it too like I look at Harry Maguire and I think he was at the World Cup with England and he almost became, well, I think he did become a kind of national hero, um, perhaps more than many other players. And I think because he was one of the players that is a, a smaller club, no disrespect to Leicester, but when you are playing in the England team, you, you expect by default that you're going to be playing with players from the, the kind of top four, top six clubs, that it is a bit of a, a kind of mental drop-off to go back to playing for Leicester where the spotlight is, is never going to be on you as much and I just wonder whether that, that is more more of a, a kind of pertinent factor for players that play for the, the smaller clubs. Um it's a very it's a very interesting question but I guess it's it's hard to say without, you know, having an insight into all the, mm. the different factors. But I can't think of any other players particularly that it that this applies to this well, it season. could work in the opposite direction. Paul Pogba's probably had his Best Premier yeah. League season, and that's and I'm, yes, I'm basing basing that on the, the last two yeah. months. But he played in the World Cup and probably had his best season so far. John Stones played every game for England. He's been very good for City. So it's not just it doesn't work in Rashford. Yeah, Rashford as well. Mm. Um, so it does doesn't just work one way. Yeah. It could be the other as well. It's interesting you yeah. mentioned the smaller clubs as well because Jordan Pickford's not in. I know it's yeah. not a small yeah. club. No, particularly yeah, yeah. but not one of the big mm. big fives. Yeah. Do you think because they played for the smaller clubs that's why they became the heroes? Because say mm. Harry Maguire and John yeah. Stones played together but you couldn't really idolise John Stones as a Man United fan. Yeah. Where, I, yeah. I think so maybe definitely. because he didn't play for a team that have a like yeah. a massive rival, I know they've sort of got rivalries with Derby and Forest. Mm -hmm. But it's not that great really. Everyone still likes Leicester I think from Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, well. yeah. I think it's definitely true though. Like Harry Maguire's got so much more people looking at him now because he's, you know, an England yeah. star in a small size. Well, his, his transfer fee that was being talked about in the summer, like they were talking about United going him for sixty-five million yeah. for him, which I hope they do. 
Yeah, um, <coughs> I think the the whole squad though sort of went into the whole England squad went into the last World Cup. Obviously, not as unknowns, but as n- certainly not as like superstars as the previous England squads probably mm-hmm. did. Yeah, and I think it'll be really interesting to see sort of a, the next Euros. You know how because they they will go into the next Euros as a squad of sort of celebrity players, really, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, we talked a lot about Kante there actually and that's quite appropriate because we've got a little topic uh, that we're going to supplant in here about, it comes from Harry Longworth who asks us, what does Kante do with all his money? So the background context of this is kind of, N'Golo Kante has kind of become a little bit of a cult hero in the sense that he seems very different to a lot of modern footballers in that they we're all aware of how much they get paid but he doesn't seem to show much interest in the kind of finer sides of life if you like. We had... Um, the footage of him going to, I think he was, he missed his train on the way back from a Chelsea game and he ended up going round to a fan's house and uh, kind of eating with them and watching match of the day, which is kind of completely out of place with what a lot of modern footballers kind of do. Uh, so I guess a bit of a, a fun topic really to, to kind of suggest what he might do. I kind of wonder whether he might have some interest behind the the scenes which is he you know is he investing is he building some kind of empire because you think he, he doesn't seem that interested in in the the glitz and glamour but surely he's got there's got to be an advisor somewhere that's doing something what do you reckon Kieran? I don't know I was reading about this before the podcast and I was reading that he went at his first pro club he went to training on a skewer like an actual you know one of the ones you push with your feet not like a like, and then I know in 2017 he was driving a mini hatchback, which isn't what not your stereotypical footballer car. But yeah, I, I don't, I can't, I can't really think of any suggestions as to what he might be spending his money on now. Yeah, I mean, you, we see these things before where players kind of develop interests aside from football. Um, there is, there's a player, oh, I can't remember who it is, I think they play for Ipswich, who's got into like cryptocurrency and things <laughs> like that. David Bentley retired early, um, and I think that he he had some kind of interest outside of football, which was part of the reason for that. Um, but it's interesting. I mean, if I was a professional footballer, I think I'd definitely have some kind of side interest, you know. Jesse Lingard and his J-Ling's clothing line. Yeah, Jesse uh, Rodriguez, who joined Stoke from... At PSG yeah. via Real Madrid, he was um, yeah. he's, he's featured in a in a rap single, done yeah. a bit of that. Uh, Balassi, done a bit of rapping. <laughs> that, uh, was it Jeremy Halan, the Chef Wednesday left back retired for some strange reason like that. He went <coughs> to work to at a church. No, he went to work at a church or something like that. Really? I think it was. I think to it was work like, at a church. <laughs> like like a religious. Got program. better job. <laughs> but I like to make things up in my head. I yeah, like to, yeah, yeah. I like to think like maybe. I'd I'd really enjoy it if Kante got like a, accused of like tax evasion or something. It'd just be really funny. <laughs> like the most unlikely person just to. Pirlo got into vineyard, didn't he? Oh, Dion Dublin and the Jube. Have you seen that? That is fantastic. Oh, the Jube. The Jube. Is Dion Dublin the one that presents uh, Homes, Homes under, under the, the Hammer? hammer. Yeah. So apparently, Dion Dublin, when he was playing football, I literally had no idea about this. They talked about it on the that Peter Crouch podcast. He during his kind of latter stages of his footballing career he became increasingly fascinated by music and he's invented this percussion instrument and it's, it's called the jube now i can't fully do it justice because my musical knowledge isn't great enough but it's it's a percussion instrument it's a it's a box and it's kind of like a drum so you, you it's on a stand or you can like wear it and each side of it has it produces a different sound and they come in three different sizes <laughs> and there's an amazing video honestly i recommend any listener to go and watch as if they haven't already just type in the jube you can go to his website and it's dion dublin with his two brothers and they've got the three different tubes between them and they're playing them and showing how to use them and they're really good and it, it looks like a, ma- a really good instrument but yeah I definitely have a side hobby like that <laughs> 100% some kind of musical instrument we've got the money to do it why not um, but yeah I think we'll we'll move off that one and go to our next topic which is I think this was kind of a, a Lewis Steele suggestion was it what is the football equivalent of the Super Bowl so relevant at the moment because the Super Bowl happened on Saturday night, Sunday, um, night yeah. Sunday night and there's yeah people go mad for it well yeah they do every year don't they um, obviously 
I, I don't know whether there is a football equivalent of the Super Bowl. I suppose you could say the Champions League final. But um, I'm not massive on my um, American sports. I don't know the politics behind any of it. I don't even know how you get to the Super Bowl final sort of thing. Whether whether like is it the winner of the Eastern and Western? I wouldn't want to speculate. Or something yeah, like yeah. I, mean, I don't. I don't understand. I, I do sometimes watch it, but I always find the halftime show more entertaining than um, the actual. Well, it's game, a big cultural event as yeah, well, isn't yeah. it? Wasn't I, the uh, halftime show famously crap this year? Though? I don't know. It's Maroon Five. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard it was famously <laughs> shit. Was yeah. Maroon Five? Yeah. Last year was Justin Timberlake. He did it justice. I thought. Yeah. I, I quite it. enjoyed last year. I watched um, last year's. Yeah, but I, I like to think of it maybe um, if you could imagine like halftime shows in the FA Cup final or something. <laughs> who would really have us like the? Who would do the halftime show? Spice Girls reunion. Someone awful, wouldn't it? James Corden. <laughs> Probably a bit too high profile. Yeah, like Gary Barlow or something yeah. stupid like that. Paul, like no Paul McCartney, Paul McCartney probably as well. He, yeah. he likes yeah, turning. He likes turning up for a live show, doesn't he? Is he an Everton fan or a Liverpool he's fan? Not, are they, were they all Liverpool? The, be- the Beatles never fully kind of disclosed their but footballing the, the, allegiance. That, isn't there that famous picture of them going to? Is it a Liverpool Everton FA Cup final? Yeah, I. Th- I've looked into this before and you, yeah. you basically can't work out who they supported. There's a famous quote from one of them and they said there's two... To George Harrison. Yeah, he said like there's two big teams in Liverpool and I support the other one. Yeah, I've heard that. Nice. <laughs> I'm a nice big one, fan George. of the Beatles. I was like, which one to support? I actually wrote... They're probably United fans. I've written an article about like um, making like puns on um, football players' names to tie in with the Beatles and in the introduction I did a little thing about... Um, this isn't on 5W football, maybe I should put it on now, I've mentioned it. Um, I put a little thing about trying to work out who they supported, but I just don't think they were that interested in um, in football. In the meantime, we do have a very important topic that we would like to flag up, um, which Kieran knows a lot about, but this is the ongoing, very worrying issue going on with Hakeem. Um, so, Kieran, if you'd like to... Yeah, so Hakeem Al-Arabi is a Bahraini footballer, centre-back, I believe, um, who, in 2012... He's a, he's a Shia Muslim, um, Hakeem is, and he lives in Bahrain, or... Is, no, he doesn't live in Bahrain, he's from Bahrain, originally, where Shia Muslims are somewhat persecuted against. Um, in 2012, he got arrested for vandalising a police station, even though... When the vandalism was going on, he was actually playing in a live televised football match, <laughs> which is darkly <laughs> very just weird. Um, and then he was tortured and arre- arrested and tortured by the Bahraini uh, authorities. He then escaped. He then was given bail to go and play for the Bahraini national football team in Qatar, where he, they were playing away. He was then found guilty of th- this vandalism charge. And uh, he then had to flee to Australia, where he was given uh, refugee status, I think in 2017, I want to say. And then last year, I think it was like last November, him and his wife decided to go on a belated honeymoon. So he was then detained in Thailand um, last year, and he is still being detained, uh, even though the legal grounds of that are very, very flawed. Um, He faces being extradited back to Bahrain, where he would almost certainly be arrested and tortured, and he fears for his life as do a lot of uh, a lot of people. So there is a, if you go to the article on our website, you can go from there to a uh, change.org page where you can sign a petition to get the Thai authorities to release him back to the Australian government where he has refugee status. So yeah, just go check that out. Important stuff. It is indeed, yeah. Please do uh, check out that petition because um, we do need to raise awareness of this. I feel like it is our duty as fans of the game. Um, Kieran is now leaving yeah, us. Sorry, it's um, a bit noisy. I've just had a fire alarm. Um, we're all well and good for now. Even it doesn't seem left. to be a real alarm, from what we can tell thus far. Um, <laughs> moving on, we have a whole city trivia quiz from Lewis Steele. This has been prepared for Catherine and Barney uh, to kind of pit their wits against each other, see who knows more about whole cities, see who knows more about the Tigers. Um, how many questions have we got? We've got five. Five. Actually, nice so I'm going to see who 
Well, What's the format of yeah, the quiz? Are we buzzing in or? Uh, I'm going to explain to you now. So, uh, welcome to the quiz, Catherine and Barnabas. Um, I can't. I'm not as good as Bradley Walsh is on the chase at reading questions, but I've got five questions on Hull City. I would like to say fingers and buzzers, but we don't have buzzers, so we may have to improvise. So I'm gonna. Um, what should we? Should we make them say a key word to buzz in? I reckon you should say tiger to buzz in. Yeah. We both have the same <laughs> keyword. Yeah. Well, you have. To, all right. There's you distinctly have... different uh, differences in in pitch and sound of voice. So we okay. Yeah. Fine. All right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Fine. <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> so to pitch in, um, obviously, if you get it, you get one one uh, mark, and if you get it wrong, minus you lose a mark. Yeah. Right. So. The first question is, name two signings made by Hull City in the reign of Marco Silva. Tiger. In Marco, oh. Barney, Barney, Barney Stevens was straight in there with I'm the Tiger. I didn't know which wider it was, eh? Can I go? Yeah, we'll give you that. Uh, Markovic and Kamil Grisicki. Markovic is wrong, apparently. According to uh, transfermarket.com. He was, tra- was a loan signing, wasn't he? Yeah, he uh, right, yeah, sorry, it wasn't specified. Right, okay. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll give you. What, I'm, should we I'm give. It's definitely not wrong. We did have Markovic on loan, Markovic. Right, yeah. we'll, we'll, give you, we'll give you the. Uh, we'll, yeah. give you, we'll give you the mark. Right. That's, yeah, as long as I don't get a minus mark. I don't, I don't mind staying on zero. You can have a mark. You can have a mark. I'll give you a mark. Markovic. Yeah, we'll give you a mark. <laughs> the other answers were Evandro, Andrea Ranocchia, and Omar. Ranocchia was on loan, I know. Um, Omar El Abdelawi. He was on loan as well, yeah. Oh, well. Who was he? He was the um, Norwegian guy. He was oh, the yeah, Norwegian yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, Did you get his boots? Anyway, uh, <laughs> question two is, um, what year did Hull City move to the KC Stadium? Tiger. I'm doing that now because I just wanted to guess. Um, oh, I know. Um, 1990. I'm trying to think of when I went. For some reason I've got I'm between 2003. Do we get passovers? 2002 and 2004. I reckon How for this, yeah. I went to the, I'm happy 2001. 2002. It's correct. Oh, damn. 1-1. One, one. <laughs> All right, number three. Um, Hull City's highest transfer paid was £13 million. Who was that Tiger. for? Tiger. I think that was Catherine. Ryan Mason. Correct. 2 1 to Catherine. Doesn't play anymore, does he? No. Retired, yeah. retired after that. Maybe injury. he's got other interests outside of football. Probably not. He's a pundit now. Okay, so this one could basically win it for Catherine. Jimmy Bullard scored a famous goal to equalise for Hull at Man City before doing that famous celebration, but who scored the goal for City on that day? <laughs> um. I'm not going to answer this because I don't know it. <laughs> it puts me out of the game, doesn't it? I can remember. I can remember the year before when we lost um, four five, one. I remember Sean Wright Phillips scoring five one. Yeah, I'm trying to think, it was in the Man City squad at that time. Tevez. No, no it, well, you would have been we right with Sean Wright Phillips. Phillips. You would have been right with Sean Wright Phillips. <laughs> I knew he scored. Does that make it one one again? Makes it one one. So this, this is to this is to win. <laughs> this is. Um, Right, so are you ready? What Mo, excitement. Mo Diame scored the goal that got Hull City promotion last time round, but who got the assist? The Tiger. Robert Snodgrass. It's correct. Wow. Yes. Catherine wins <laughs> by <laughs> two <laughs> goals to one. Yeah. Very, very yeah. well done. I'm going to put that on my CV when I get home. <laughs> Do it now. Yeah, well done, Catherine. It's Thank good. you. I'm disappointed yeah. I didn't get in there faster with there the were, KC question. Yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't as many older questions for yeah. it. No, good so battle nonetheless. Yeah, it was. Good, yeah. good little feature. Good oh. questions, Lewis. Yeah, well done, Lewis. Um, yeah. Very nice quiz. Yeah. Very nice the assist quiz. one was good. Yeah. yeah. I remember Snodgrass passing it to him. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was Snodgrass or Robertson. Knew it came from yeah. the left. I remember Robertson missing a sitter just before. Yeah, he, he went did, through and yeah, I had a quick watch of it on YouTube. <laughs> well, well, so My friend, when Robertson missed that sitter, yeah. kicked the seat in front of him and uh, kicked it so hard that he landed, fell over and landed on the row in front. <laughs> Who's that? My friend. Oh, who right. I thought really, he was the start about Andy Robertson actually at the playoffs is he's the, I think he's the only player to score in in the semi final in both legs for both teams because he scored the third goal. We beat Derby three 0 in the first leg, and then he scored an own goal in the home tie. I did it. I don't remember nil. that home tie very, very well at all. I did go. I don't remember it. I was doing an open exam at the time. Yeah, the same. Very good left back, Andrew. You've done well there with Mr. Robert, haven't you? 
Very good left back. We've just about got time for one more question, which comes from football and travel, whose handle is at Footymatics, which I very much like. Mm. Kind of, you know, reminds me of a kind of Simon Cooper book uh, on Twitter, which is relates to so today and tomorrow in Rome, there's a major UEFA executive committee meeting, and also the forty third ordinary UEFA Congress. Uh, if you're anything like me, you've no idea what that means and probably neither does UEFA. But one of the things that's been discussed is the potential abolition of the away goals rule in European competitions. Now, our friend Footymatics asks, why are they contemplating abolishing the away goals rule? He sees it as such a unique part of the special European competitions. What do we think about this? Uh, I Personally, I think it is a special aspect of European competition, but I think something does need to be done with it as regards extra time um, because one team does you know, get longer to score an away goal, which some people might say that's that's just part of the competition, but I think it is a little bit unfair with with it going into extra time. But um, what do you think, Barney? So is, is what they're thinking of abolishing is... The away goal rule in extra time. No, I think they're, they're, they're thinking about getting rid of it um, full stop. And does the away goal rule count in extra time? It does, yeah. Right, and I, yeah. I think initially the away goals rule was introduced in European football because of the vast distances that could be involved in travelling. Mm-hmm. So it was to kind of reward the fact that teams maybe were travelling for like two days to get to a game. Um, it, it was kind of rewarding that, but nowadays with you know the advent of air travel and all this kind of thing, it's kind of not as much maybe of a disadvantage to go to be travelling to an away game. Like I think in previous years, maybe you'd, any European tie where you were going away, you a draw is a good result. Like if you got if you come back from an away game in Europe and you bring anything back, that's a good result. But it feels like that's changed a little bit to now. You do go away, like even. I remember when we went, Liverpool went to Red Star Belgrade, you know, we were expecting to win it just because, you know, we think we're a better team than them, but that kind of, the fact that they won was a quite a good reminder in many ways of like, that's what it was always like, even though you were playing maybe a team from an inferior league, inferior players, it was still a very big challenge just because of all the, it's such a, a foreign environment. Um awesome Wenger said in 2015 that he thinks it encourages teams to park the bus at home rather than attacking so he he was obviously a bit against it and Arsenal have gone out a few times on away goals in European competition in recent years most notably last year to Atletico Madrid when I think it was Griezmann that scored uh, an away goal against them which it kind of it gets to that stage in the title doesn't it where that away goal kind of just makes it a bit of an insurmountable task to come back into it but would you keep it? Um I'd probably get rid. Of, can you could get rid of it for extra time, couldn't you, and keep it so, in ninety minutes? So. I'd probably do that. So yeah, I think so. What, what do you think, Catherine? You yeah, similar that'd idea. Be a, that'd be a good good idea. Actually, I hadn't thought about that. Because um, I'd quite like the away goals thing purely because when I was sort of younger and I was watching football, it, I, I I always struggled to get my head around it when I was about ten, and my dad said. I said, but they're winning, and he's like, yeah, but it's it's not like that. It's on away goals, and it, it confused me for a long time. And once I got my head around it, I was quite proud of myself. So I'd quite like it to stay um, for that reason. Um, but yeah, I think your idea actually of sort of getting rid of it for extra time might solve the issue, perhaps. I remember struggling with it as well. I used to think that the two away that the away goal rule just meant that if you scored a goal away from home it was like yeah. it counted as two I thought, yeah because I was like I got confused at one point when he said he counted it for, it counted for two so I thought if it was like two nil it, it yeah, meant that like we were winning four nil yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a very difficult one to explain as well like I remember kind of trying to explain it to your mum is very difficult like when they when they come in and you're watching the telly it's like the 60th minute and it's maybe like 5-3 on aggregate you know and, you, and you're winning it's not necessarily always you know that, that straightforward there's, there's so many other things Lewis, are you keeping it or are you getting um, rid? I'm getting rid of it. Okay. I don't like the rule at all. Right. Um, um, and I was the same with VAR. As soon as that got proposed, I was totally behind that rule as well. Um, but I'm going at this from a city perspective. And I'm thinking of our last three Champions League campaigns. So I'm starting with Madrid, where we lost 1-0 in the Bernabeu. 
which I kind of liked it there because if we scored a goal, we would have gone through, but we didn't look like scoring a goal because of Pellegrini's tactics, which we won't go into. Um, so I liked it then, but then Monaco was when I really hated it because we drew 6-6 on aggregate. Um, Sane scored to put us 6-5 ahead and then they scored out of nowhere because we were completely dominating from the point that Sane scored. I think it was Bakayoko that scored, the, the guy from Chelsea, mm. and that was completely like game over. And then last year as well with Liverpool, where obviously Liverpool were the better team over two legs, but they were 3-1 up um, at, after about two minutes of our leg at home. We had, And it was basically, if they scored another goal, it was game over. Whereas I think... If, the, if there wasn't that looming in our head, we would have gone for it a bit more, maybe got it back to at least 3-2, maybe 3-3, three, three, so I don't like it for that reason. That's, and that's fairly fairly well argued. Um, I think that brings us just about to the close. Anything else planned nice for the day, Lewis? No, I've not got anything planned for the day, which is quite exciting. <laughs> Barney, what are you doing this afternoon? Uh, Having I'm a bath? Getting, I probably will have a bath, yeah. Uh, I'll be getting the train back to Hull. And now probably have a bath. In Hull? Yeah, the bath will be in Hull. Right, okay. Superior baths in Hull. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go near a bath in Sheffield. Interesting. Catherine, any baths for you? Um, no, I am also going back to Hull this after, just for this oh. afternoon, um, getting the, as I like to call, the, the highway to Hull. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to, um, a, 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 well, a protest for part of this multimedia project at, oh, outside the council building before, hopefully, will be useful. Right, okay. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Lewis Steele. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Barney Stevenson. Thank you, Andrew. And thank you, Catherine Batty. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Goodbye. <laughs>